0: Happiness versus Flourishing, episode 24. Welcome again to the podcast where we give you small ideas on ways you can improve aspects of your life. Today, my guest is Nigel Risner, who is a motivational speaker. Um, he speaks literally all over the world. He's spoken in there's probably not many countries that he hasn't spoken in. And we get into many different topics today your internal communication that you have with yourselves, how to be a zookeeper, the difference between coaching and speaking, and many other areas. So that's this week's episode, which is coming up very shortly. If you uh, do like this episode, why not share it with anyone who you feel can get some real benefit from it? Please do subscribe to the podcast and leave a review that lets people know your thoughts and makes them maybe more likely to take a chance if they weren't sure just from the title. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Happy versus flourishing. My guest today, Nigel Risner. How are you, Nigel? I'm
1: exceptionally well. After a couple of medical issues last year, I'm 99% 99% better, feeling healthier, my diet has started, I'm walking a lot more, the sun is shining today, which is always good news, so feeling good today.
0: And you've got, I mean, we've met a few times, and you have a really good outlook in life is what how, I, um, how you come across to me.
1: Um, I don't think I've got a great outlook, I just think moaning, or being part of what I call the BMW brigade, the bitching, moaning and whining people, that you've got one life, And this isn't a dress rehearsal, so let's make the best of it. Mm. And complain if you want, but make sure it's going to get you somewhere. You know, there's a phrase that says a lot of people would much rather be right than happy. Mm. And I've given up on that. I used to be that way. You know, I'd want to win the argument. I'd want to be right if I was in a restaurant. I'd want the food sent back. Now, not that I'm a bit older, but I just want to appreciate where I am and what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. not for some esoteric reason, but I just want to just have some fun and just mm-hmm. relax and get stuff done.
0: Yeah. Well, and for for the people listening who maybe aren't so familiar with you, do you want to tell us what it is that you do?
1: So, I'm a I'm going to say I'm a leadership and motivational speaker, but I mm-hmm. specialize in communication, but with a slight twist because I specialize in internal communication about how we talk to ourselves. As well as how we communicate to others using a model that thinking that everyone in your world is a different animal mm. and your job is to become a zookeeper. And the zookeeper's role in life is to feed the food the animals need, not the food that you've got. So mm. all of a sudden you're thinking about the other person and their needs more than just yours. Mm. So I've spent 23 years now speaking literally all over the world. Mm. Um, as well as in London, but doesn't happen very often where I'm from, inspiring, empowering people to be the best they can be with what they've got. You know, Mm. I'm never going to be an Olympic runner, but what I could do is be fitter. I'm never going to be a politician, but I could communicate better. I'm Mm. never going to be a phenomenal cook, but I could have more fun in the kitchen. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so when you get these speakers that tell you anything is a possibility, Mm. I don't believe that's true, by the way. I don't think everything is a possibility. I think there are some things you can do and some things that you're just never going to be able to do. So let's work on what you can do and make your 5%, as I use that phrase, even better. So mm. if I said to you, Tony, uh, is there somewhere in your life you'd like to be at least 5% even better? What mm. would you say?
0: Um, well, of course, always you're always looking to improve something.
1: But So there's at least 5% in somewhere in your life that you'd like to improve. Well, that's where yeah. I want to work with people. If mm. every area in your life was working 100% perfectly, well, then brilliant. Then just keep doing what you're doing. You mm. don't need a coach. You don't need anybody if your life mm. is working in every area. I've yet to meet that person, by the way.
0: Mm. Well, and it, it, it suggests almost sort of lack, lack of ambition or if, you've got, if you feel that everything is as good as it's going to be.
1: Well, it's not necessarily people. a lack of ambition. It just means that you actually think what we call in the world, you're perfect, and mm. I believe you can be excellent, and there's still room to grow. So I have mm. never done, and Tony, you've seen me speak a few times, I have mm. never done a perfect presentation, and mm. I've done over 2,500 paid presentations. Mm. I've never done a perfect presentation. I've done some phenomenal ones, by the way, mm. but if I was to really look back, there's one or two things I might change do differently, take away, whatever it might be. Mm. And So I'm always saying to people, what could we do to make your life 5% even better? And that's my starting point for 99% of the people I work with.
0: When you've got a great speaking style, it's really um I kind of Marmite, I guess, is the best way to describe it. But
1: I have yeah. one at a war, by the way. I've been Marmite speaker of the year a number of times.
0: <laughs> but it it really works and it it really it resonates with me, and I can I completely agree with the things you say. But it does, I guess, and you, yeah, I mean you maybe can tell us this, that some people it would upset because it's quite a direct style.
1: Well, okay, so that's a really interesting point that you've just said here. I am not the greatest storyteller in the world. Mm. I'm not the greatest motivational speaker in the world. But what I do, and this came about from one of my own coaches, that when I stopped being applause-orientated and became Mm. results-orientated, my whole speaking business changed. So you know many speakers, Tony, that will be on stage and they're desperate for this standing ovation. Mm. I'm quite happy if I don't get a standing ovation, but three weeks later, I get 10, 15, 20 emails from people who've made a difference by applying something they've heard, which they probably already knew, but I've put it across in a slightly different way, and now they've done something different. Mm. It's very rare that you hear something that you've absolutely never heard before in your life. Yeah. You know? You know if you communicate slightly better, slightly softer, slightly more direct for some people that will work. you know that mm-hmm. if you get up in the morning and you get some fresh air, drink a glass of water, do a bit of meditation or whatever, your probably day is going to start a bit better. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that most of the stuff we hear we go I, I-, I thought about that or I've never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. so I'm just a bit in people's faces because I want them to do something you know mm-hmm. have you I don't know if you know there's a word called inspiration. Communication, mm-hmm. innovation, uh, aspiration. There's loads of words that end, A-T-I-O-N. Can you yeah. visualize that word? Mm-hmm. If you put a C in that word, and it became innovation, communic action, inspiration, and you did something with that inspiration or that innovation, your life and business would change. Mm. My fear is so many people are listening to a podcast like this going, yeah, I agree. Mm. And they're not changing behaviour. Yeah. Well, then what they've heard is a lovely story. Mm. And, and there are some phenomenal stories out there. And there are some brilliant storytellers. And you listen to the story and you go, well, that was good. I like that. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard someone like Michael McIntyre, Peter Kane concert. Mm-hmm. But are you aware that 99% of people literally within 20 minutes can't remember a single joke? But they mm. laugh like mad hearing the, 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 uh, the oration as such.
0: And so why do you think that is?
1: Well, because they've enjoyed it. And Mm -hmm. so there's a bit of me that wants you to enjoy my speech. So can I be a little bit controversial here? Am I allowed? Mm -hmm. Of course. So I offer clients three different speeches. Mm -hmm. You may not know this. I offer Mm -hmm. what I call a Chinese speech, an Indian speech, and a Nigerian speech. (laughs) Okay. Any idea what you think the difference is between the three? Um,
0: I'm intrigued as to what the differences might be.
1: Okay. So, do you, have you ever had Chinese food? I have. About an hour later, what happens?
0: Um, you're still hungry.
1: Yeah, there you go. You still want more. So, you've enjoyed your meal, but you're either hungry or you want more. Mm-hmm. Have you had Indian food? I have. About a week later, you want another lot. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Have you had Nigerian food?
0: I can't remember, actually. I don't think I have.
1: Okay, well, I've been to Nigeria a couple of times, and it's still in my system. right. So I'm often asking my clients, what do you want from me? I can do a shtick. I can do funny. I can share some stories, and I call that my Chinese approach. Mm -hmm. My fear is the next speaker that comes along, and I think we met uh, one of the very first times at a... Um, hold on, bear with me five seconds. You can always delete this part if I'm not fast enough. At a mobile DJ conference.
0: The pro mobile conference, yeah.
1: That, and if you remember, there was like 20 speakers over the four days. Mm. I'll put money on. You probably remember at least two things I shared. But if I asked you to name all the other speakers, you probably wouldn't be able to remember much of what was said.
0: Mm, that's a good shout, yeah.
1: And they were probably very good at the time. They may have got even higher scores, by the way. And Mm. I'm okay with that. Mm. But 99% of people will remember my phrase, if you're in the room, be in the room. Be Mm -hmm. a zookeeper. And and probably either the £10 note or something else. Does that Mm. make sense? Yeah. So the Chinese approach is great. But if there's five or six speakers on that day, they just roll into one, and then you're not quite sure what to do. And so for Mm. anyone who's listening to this podcast... Think about the last speaker you heard, or the last podcast you heard, including whichever the last one that Tony just did. What have you done with that information? Otherwise, mm. they just all roll into one. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And so, why would you? What do you think is the reason why people don't take action? Is it something that the speaker's not putting across, or what is no,
1: it? Well, it's both. The, the speakers shared some lovely stories, but they're mm. their stories. Mm. And you know, so what's the call to action from that story? You know, me hearing somebody climb a mountain and how difficult it was, is phenomenal. Mm. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it.
0: Yeah. And no. so how did your – yeah, I mean, you've, I've heard you say this a few times at some places I've heard you speak, that some people aren't going to like this. So what do you think is the reason why some people don't get on with your, with that style?
1: Well, with me or why they don't like, me, the, like, like it? Well, both. Okay, so they don't like me because I'm just direct to the point, and I often say to people, the reason your business sucks is because you do. (laughs) Okay, so that's not massively motivational, that's much more irritational, if that makes sense. Mm, And so I'm not scared to say to people, Your life is exactly where it is due to the choices you've made to date.
0: Exactly,
1: yeah. So you know, you lived near me, not that far, and now you move you've lived you live two hundred miles away. Well, that's Mm. a choice you made. Mm. You didn't just wake up one morning and you were transported to another home. Mm. Even yeah. if there had been divorce, there had been repossession or whatever, choices were made along the way. Yeah. So I'm often saying to people that the very first thing you need to do is take ownership. Mm. So if you understand what 100% responsibility looks like in your life, your life would change from that moment. Mm. If you understood you're 100% responsible for your communication, your life would change if you understood that wherever you are, that's where you need to be. So we've been on this call for about 11 minutes, and Mm -hmm. I promise you the only person who I love in the whole wide world is you. Mm -hmm. Now, you're probably either going a little bit cynical or the listeners will be by saying, uh, he's just saying it. I promise Mm -hmm. you, Tony, whilst we are doing this, you are the most important person in my life. Mm -hmm. When I finished won't be that I don't love you that much, but the next person will be, or my kids will be, or my dog will be, because that's who's with me. And too often, we are busy thinking about the next client or the last client, or what else needs to be done.
0: And not being in the present.
1: Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. when I share this with people, and I call people out on stage, I won't embarrass anybody, but I often ask questions, and the response that I get tells me where people are in their lives. Mm -hmm. And some people don't like being called out. Some people don't like being told that their lives suck because of what choices they've made.
0: And what you were saying before about a lot of people won't take responsibility for their lives. And it seems to me that, because I I had that realisation, I I don't know, about seven or eight years ago, and it suddenly struck me. There was things I was blaming other people for. And then I realised that I wasn't taking responsibility. And since that realisation, my life has completely changed. But I get the impression that it's not something, for many people, if they hear someone saying that, it doesn't necessarily sink in.
1: Look, nobody wants to admit that the reason their life sucks is because they are not taking action. What yeah. they want to do is blame the government. They want mm. to blame Boris Johnson. They want to blame the transport system. They want to blame the M25. They, you know, you lived near the M25, and if you were going round south, every single day the M25 was quite busy. Mm. Well, if it was important, you'd have left at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. But you chose to leave at 6.45 when a million other people did. Mm. Well, well, if everyone leaves at 6.45, it doesn't matter where you go, it's going to be busy. Yeah. If you go to the airport at 9 o'clock in the morning and you wonder why security is busy, it's because that's what everyone has turned up then. If you took responsibility and you thought, can I make my life easier? I'll get to Heathrow at 10 to 8 or -hmm. whatever the time is. I'll go on the M25 a bit earlier and I'll have a coffee somewhere near where I'm going.
0: Yeah,
1: People are always amazed that I'm on time. It's mm. because I have an exercise called for a million pounds, would you be on time if that's what the offer was? Mm. Well, of course you would. Yeah. Well, what would you do? And everyone goes, well, I'd leave the night before. Mm. Right, so you could. Now, mm. don't get me wrong. There are some people whose lives have been plighted. Plighted, is that the right word? Whatever mm. the word is. With really, it seems bad luck. Very often when you dissect it, and this is going to be upsetting for some people, they need to take some responsibility for it.
0: I agree with that, yeah.
1: Now, people don't want to hear that when their lives are not working. Mm. No one chooses to be made redundant. No one chooses. I mean, your business of mine has been decimated from the 24th of March. I had 93 paid presentations postponed, cancelled, literally overnight. Hmm. well I had a choice in that moment now what do I do hmm. you know it's great moaning about it and it's great saying well the government isn't giving me much support because I'm self-employed etc cetera, etc cetera. I hmm. need to do something I applied and you're going to be amazed at this I applied at one point to become an Amazon driver <laughs> okay I bet you're shocked at that one aren't you yeah I am yeah because I didn't know what I was going to do all day long right I didn't necessarily do it. I mean, yes, the money would have been helpful, but what do you do all day long? Mm. I've, I've worked for 23 years, and you know, or you may or may not know, I had a brain aneurysm uh, exactly four years ago, mm. and I did 168 presentations that year in 38 countries. Okay? Mm. That, that's that's mm. the result. If you push yourself too far, your brain literally explodes. Mm. So over the four years, I've I've calmed down a bit, but I've never, ever been at home for as long Mm -hmm. as I've been at home in the last 10 months. Right. But I've got to do something. Mm -hmm. If there had been an interview for an Amazon driver the day I applied, I probably would have done it.
0: Right. And so what did you you do last year then?
1: Well, so I learned what Zoom was. I learned what being online was. I'd never done an online presentation ever in my life before March the 31st, ever. Mm -hmm. And I had to get coached. And I paid people to share with me. How do I share my screen? I'd never done any of this. Hmm. And I had people who thought I was the B's and E's, and I had a... How could I need coaching? Everyone Hmm. has a coach. The higher you go in the ranks, the more coaches you've probably got. Yeah. Yeah. But I promise you, I would have been a driver or something to deliver parcels just so I could do something. Hmm. So I, you know, I created an online personality assessment tool. I... Change my business model so i could do other events i did some live events in the year which, which were amazing and mm-hmm. i can't wait to do more live events but mm. now i've you know i've spoken in sri lanka at five in the morning and australia and new zealand at 11 o'clock at night mm. which i'd never been able to do in the same way
0: mm. and know, so how incredible. are you finding it now presenting online as opposed to doing it in a live environment
1: did you ask how do i find it
0: yeah, what, what do you think of it? What, what's the for, for your from your point of view? How, what do you think of it?
1: Okay, I would much prefer to be live in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. However, because of the way I share and because of my content, I am mm-hmm. now nearly, not quite. I'm nearly as good as I was live on stage, mm-hmm. because I've got the same passion, drive, and energy. And I use a lot of props. I don't use many slides. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some phenomenal technical people out there who can do some great wizardry stuff. Mm. I prefer for them to see into my office with all of my animal models, with all of my chocolate, with all of my props, with all of my stuff that I've got, mm. because that's what they'd get if I was on stage. I don't use yeah. that many slides on stage. You've mm. seen some of presentations. I've got a tortoise video. I've got a 3 men in a toilet video, and I've got a gazelle running into a tree. Mm. I can I can do all of that online. Mm. I don't because I think that I can share different information. So the mm. question really is w- when it all changes because we're never going to go back to normal. There is this is you know it's never going to be back to the way it was in my humble yeah. opinion. Yeah. But I can do some stuff online. I've got now another revenue stream because mm. if somebody wanted to meet in Australia and I don't have to pay for flights, I mean, I'm working with a major major company in Australia. And I was there two and a half years ago, and I'm getting the same money that I got paid for going there. Mm. And I'm not doing any transport. So the client's saving money. There's no hotel expenses. They haven't Mm. got to pay for a hotel. They haven't got to pay for my flights. Mm. And I'm doing exactly the same. I'm not doing the same content. But the content they're going to receive is the same as if I'd have been in person.
0: And what do you think about, are you able to impact people the same way online as you could in a live environment?
1: Okay, so th- there's two So I'm going to say yes, because the content that I give people is the same as I've been doing on stage. Mm. And in theory, they're getting up much closer in my face. I just can't feel their energy, but I can see their energy. So mm. you've probably done some work on energy. Mm. I, I insist that I can see people's faces right. when I'm doing a Zoom call. Mm. Uh, you know, the problem I've got sometimes, if I'm working with 500 people I can't see screen number 12 or 13. Yeah. And so hopefully when they ask a question, I can quickly scroll or they come up in main screen for me. So I mm. lose some of that. Mm. So if I was on stage, my peripheral vision would tell me what was going on on the left-hand side of the room and I would be able to feel an energy drop. But I, because of my sessions, and for the record, my sessions are normally 42 minutes because I think that's mm. as long as anybody can concentrate up till mm. about three o'clock. And no. so I'm always giving and I'm sharing as much information. I've got some online stuff they can look at. I've got some videos. Uh, there's a quiz online. You know, there's lots of things I can get them to do a bit before, a bit afterwards, etc. to make it feel like they understand my subject.
0: Right. How did you get into all of this in the first place?
1: Great question. Great question. So, You probably will have no idea that I originally was in commercial finance. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. But I was given an opportunity to study hotel management in Israel. Mm -hmm. And it was a passion of mine and a dream of mine. And I went to Israel. And then I realized this course was just not for me. And my roommate where I lived in this absorption center was a tennis coach. And I had played Mm -hmm. unbelievable tennis for five years as a youth. And I was 18 and a half. And I joined a tennis center and started coaching. Hmm. And I coached for just over two years at the Israel Tennis Center and became an umpire. And I played some tennis. And if I look back now, my coaching skills started by understanding that by changing incremental changes with someone, do you play tennis or squash? Not really, no. Have you played any racket sports? Um, very badly. Okay, but 90% of people, if you just change their grip, have you ever played golf?
0: No.
1: (laughs) Most coaches are spending their time on their grip to make Mm. their play much better. So you watch a golfer and you watch their natural swing. And then Mm. people like us going to golfers, we're just trying to whack them all as hard as we can. Mm. Um, I then came back to the UK, joined a finance company, and I did unbelievably well very, very quickly. Without the knowledge that I've got now, and my whole business would have changed if I'd have known how to lead people instead of mm-hmm. managing them. So mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time teaching people that we lead people and we manage things, not mm-hmm. the other way around. Yeah. And I then had venture capital in my business. We were going public. We didn't go public. And I then resigned from my own business because I just didn't get on with my shareholders. I mm-hmm. started all over again. And when I made money the second time, I realized making money actually wasn't that complicated working with people was and Mm -hmm. I went on a personal development course which literally changed my life overnight I then was very blessed to go to the States to work with Jack Canfield who's the author of the chicken soup for the soul books yeah and I went back for three years to facilitate with him and Mm -hmm. do some joint work with Jack with 200 people Mm -hmm. and then in 1997 I was very blessed to do a presentation for the Academy for Chief Executives I didn't realise at the time this was going to be a life-changing moment. And I also didn't realise how important the gig was because if I'd have known how important it was, I might have been nervous.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because I didn't know how important it was, I just relaxed had some fun with it. And for whatever reason, they thought it was very, very good. And I think it was very, very good because I didn't follow the rules. (laughs) So what was it you did? Sorry? So what was it you did that was different? uh, I got people hugging. Right. Um, so I did a process and said, before you sit down, if you could get yourself three and a half hugs. Well, of course, you can't do three and a half hugs. People just start hugging each other. And mm-hmm. I said, it's very interesting that no one was scared to hug because they were so worried about the counting. But if they hadn't have worried about the counting, they probably got, would have got nervous. But from one presentation, that transformed my life. And within two years, I then gave up my finance company for the second time. I physically moved offices from my dining room to what was my kid's toy room, and 20 years later, I'm still in the same room.
0: Right.
1: Um, but what's happened is I've done lots and lots of courses. I've done lots and lots of learning. I've done mm-hmm. lots of coaching. I've been coached. Um, I've written a number of books, and I've done podcasts. But I'm constantly trying to make uh, – let's start again. I'm tr- making sure that companies work in a better way with the information and knowledge they've got. So mm-hmm. instead of trying to change the whole world, let's look at what they're doing well and improve that instead of trying to transform the whole business.
0: Do you have a preference in terms of speaking, coaching, type of audience? I mean, who is it you like to really work with?
1: <laughs> so I love working with HR, I love working with chief execs. And I love working with people who've got an influence so they can learn better leadership skills to influence other people. So it's not Mm -hmm. that I don't want to work on a shop floor with 30 shoe salesmen. Mm -hmm. I prefer to work with four leaders to empower them. Because when I go, they're going to be having to do that. Right. And And so I've probably done 500 chief exec groups around the world.
0: Wow. And do how different are they in different countries?
1: So I've worked from Canada, America, all over Europe, Israel, the Middle East, Iran, Russia, India, uh, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. And I'll tell you now, people are people. Mm. They all want the same thing. They want their personal needs met and they want to have 5% more success in some area in their life.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: I mean genuinely people want to be loved, they want to be nurtured, they want to feel special, they want to know they've done a great job, they want to I don't believe very I don't believe many people come to work not to do a great job.
0: Mm.
1: I mean can, do you ever remember being when you were doing uh when you were doing uh music mm. going to an event thinking well I hope this event doesn't work. No of course not. Yeah. So you want it, but you could have been 5% better. Mm. And so that's always the place that I start, you know, which area in your life is not working, but what's working really well and get even better at that. Mm. And are you, see, there's a problem that, that I have a phrase that says, chase your passion, not your pension. Mm. The problem for people is they think what I'm saying is, just follow your passion and don't worry about the outcome. You mm. know, if your passion is mountain climbing, and you've got five children in private education, just being a mountaineer, unless you're getting paid an awful lot of money, isn't going to help. Yeah. And so I I just want to put a caveat to that, that, you know, if you love what you do and you do what you love, there's a chance of success. Mm. But if you hate what you do, you're going to be doing it for 40 years. Now, I can't remember how old you are, Tony, but I know you're younger than me.
0: I don't know about that, but maybe.
1: I'm 58.
0: Well, I'm only just younger than you then.
1: Okay. Okay. you look much better than I do. Okay, there you go. There's a compliment. (laughs) But if, if, let's just say, we're going to be doing this for another, you know, in my case, I think I'm going to be doing it for another 12 years. I'd like to, okay? Mm -hmm. It's quite a long time, 12 years. And if you hate what you do, you're not going to be good at it.
0: No, and you're not going to enjoy life.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I've been married uh, 35 years in a couple of weeks' time. I've been with my partner nearly 40 years. I've got two amazing kids. I've got an amazing dog. My father lives around the corner. My mother's in a home, unfortunately. But my life works, but I work hard. Mm. But I work hard at stuff I love doing. doesn't mean when I have to do my VAT returns, I love doing it. But I work on an 80-20 rule. If you love 80% of what you're doing, you can afford to spend 20% of stuff you don't like doing.
0: Yeah. How do you I mean so obviously well, from what I understand, and I could be wrong, most of your work is is speaking and some of it is coaching. Do you do you prefer have you got a preference over the two of them between one Um, and the
1: other? This is really interesting. I love speaking and I but I love doing some one to one coaching with so I I have a number of clients, some have been with me for a very long time. Mm. And so I'm involved in their business and I'm involved in their family, I know the dynamics. And so I want to go a bit deeper than just the surface level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love coaching and I do a lot of one-to-ones. I've done a lot of coaching walks, even through the pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. My clients seem to love going on a walk with the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, the, but the ultimate is, you know, if you had 300 people in a room and I've gone on a plane journey and I've stayed at, at, in a nice hotel the night before and I'm opening up a conference, I'm in my element. I like the whole experience of the mm-hmm. travel meeting new people.
0: And that must be the biggest loss then, I guess, with doing all this online stuff.
1: Look, it, it, it's been horrific in one way, but mm-hmm. it's taught me a whole new pr- platform that's available. So mm-hmm. there are a number of speakers within an association that we both know, the Professional Speak Association, who've mm-hmm. loved the pandemic because they only ever did remote speaking. They only mm-hmm. ever did stuff online. Yeah. So to them, they, they've loved it. Mm. You know, they're doing. They're teaching people how to be better. They're teaching people about what equipment to use. I've got very little equipment. I've not mm. got fancy stuff, but my content is very good. Mm. And so I'm always saying to people, you know, why would people want to listen and invest in your 40 minutes? Mm. What are you going to give them? What are they going to do differently? And so I'm always interested, you know, not what did you like, but what did you hear that you're going to change and do something about? Or what are you now going to do differently? literally today, 21 days and 42 days. So Mm. I often ask people not to do evaluation sheets for me until 21 and 42 days.
0: Mm, Interesting.
1: Of course, you know, if someone says to you, you weren't very motivational inspirational and you're a motivational speaker, I'd be gutted. Mm. But I really want to know 21 days' time and 42 days' time, what are they thinking about now? Mm. And I have people 20 years later literally say, I can't believe when you put an arrow in my neck or when you shared about your son who's got mild cerebral palsy or when you said about being in the room, I've never I'm, forgotten that.
0: Well, and, it, and it's I want it, you to say, because I remember actually that the first time I, I came across you, we were at a PSA meeting in London about six years ago. And you used that expression about being in a room and that just stayed with me. I mean, I can still remember that meeting clearly.
1: Okay. So you probably, but if I was to be really rude, tell me the other four speakers that day no i don't know okay so here's my point i'm not saying i'm better in any shape or form Mm. but i try and resonate with you that's something that you can stick with and then say to yourself you know whatever i'm doing am i present am i in the room am i being a zookeeper am i understanding that the importance of why i'm doing what i'm doing Mm. and it's very rare that someone doesn't you know my wife is always embarrassed because someone will come up to us at the airport and say you know i i read your book i saw you on stage and of course, I don't know who they are, so I can't introduce them to my wife. But they'll say, but when you said this, and my wife says, I can't believe they're still listening to your crap. <laughs> you know, because to her, she hears this every day. My wife is a child, an adolescent psychotherapist. So she's dealing with people's past emotions. And I'm a coach, and I want to move them forward. But we merge both of our stuff.
0: Right.
1: You know, there's a lovely phrase that says, in order to create your future, you must complete your past. Mm. the problem is people are carrying their past and wanting you to embrace new opportunities Mm. really hard to embrace new opportunities if you're carrying last week's shopping
0: yeah one one of the things I like about you you're the kind of relationship you have with Jeff Ram and the approach the two of you take is is quite (laughs) I think some people are now sort of starting to try to replicate it but it's quite unique
1: look it's interesting because Jeff and I And he shared this on a boot camp that we did not that long ago, that Jeff changed part of his work from a seven hour journey we had together from Cardiff back to Newcastle.
0: Actually, we should just mention for people listening who don't know who Jeff is.
1: So Jeff Ram is a phenomenal keynote speaker. He's the author and creator of Celebrity Service. And he teaches people how to imagine that if you had a celebrity walking into your business, what you might do different and what Mm. touch points you could create in your business that would make people feel special. Mm. And he is one of the master storytellers, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So what we did was what we created something together. So often we'd be at the same conference, Mm -hmm. and one afternoon we decided what would happen if we came on stage together and created for our clients, because by which time they would have trusted us. So Mm. I'd open up a conference, he might do the session after lunch, and then we would close the conference, with something called the perfect day. Mm-hmm. What would the perfect day in your business look like? So the perfect right. day means you've got trusted partners and Jeff and I have trusted each other. And when I had my brain aneurysm, I gave all of my work to Jeff, just gave it to him. Right. Cause I wanted my clients and to Steve head and to other people, but I just gave them my work and said, be phenomenal. And what was amazing was the year after my aneurysm, every client that had gone with someone else rebooked me for me to do my work. Hmm. And then when Jeff had a medical emergency at home and he couldn't go to an event, he just said to the client, it's not an issue, uh, Nigel will turn up. You hmm. don't have to worry about paperwork, payment, Nigel will turn up. Now, hmm. you need trusted partners in your life. Hmm. You need some great ideas. You need some support. Hmm. And then you need perfect action. So we created something where we could do something together. We often do joint events. Uh, We're doing a couple in uh, February and March where we're working together because we're not trying to compete. We're just trying to add value for our clients. Hmm. Too many speakers want to be the best speaker on that event. What you want to be is making sure the clients are the best and we're adding value to make them look great.
0: Hmm. So how, how do you think then, or what is it that speakers should, how should they approach it differently in order to achieve that?
1: So first of all, they are not the event. They are just a contributor to the event. That's the first mm. thing. They need to get yeah. out their own ego. You know, mm. ego really stands for edging God out. You know, you need to get out your way. Sometimes mm. we just think, you know, when you hear speakers with their riders, of the stuff they want. When I was always asked, you know, what did I need? I said a breathing audience and a glass of water on stage. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Anything else that I was given was a bonus. Mm-hmm. Whatever time I was given, I'd be 20 seconds earlier to finish. Mm-hmm. I, wanted to act, and I wanted to find out what the, the company ethos was and what some of their buzzwords were so I could be part of the family. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't just want to be a guest. I want to be in partnership with people. So I have mm-hmm. something called TRP. You know, you're either a transactional-based speaker where you're a one-off speaker, and you go in, do your job, and you leave. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you work for an association, they'll always want different speakers. So you're just a transaction. Mm -hmm. Then you have what's called relationship speakers, where you have some sort of relationship with them because you've been there two or three times. What I really want is to be in partnership with my clients. So at one point, I had 12 security fobs for different clients' buildings. So I didn't know to need to go through reception. I could just buzz my way in and go to the, the floor that I wanted to go to. And mm. they knew there was a Nigel day, and they knew they could email me, and they had a special password to get into some back office stuff that I had on my website. Mm. So I'm only ever looking to work with people where I can be in partnership with them because your partners you trust 100%. So in my humble opinion, for speakers who want to go out there and make a difference, great content is paramount. Your own stories are paramount. Um, obviously, tech works, but you don't have to have the best tech to be a phenomenal speaker. But if you've got great tech and you've got no content, you're never going to get rebooked.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've had some... You sort of touched upon during, during this recording about all the fantastic places you've been working all over the world. What would... I mean, and, and I know that you've got so many fantastic stories... Can you think of a story off the top of your head that would um, maybe surprise the listeners, something that you did or encountered or whatever the case may be?
1: Um, well, I'm going to do two, because one was Iran. And, you know, I come from a Jewish background and Iran's not really the place most Jewish boys want to go to. <laughs> um, but Iran was very interesting because, you know, I, I had ideas about how the world might be and what everyone else might be thinking. Mm-hmm. But the team that I was talking, I was talking to 400 leaders and my ethos is all about inspiring and empowering people to live their life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And so if I could inspire 400 Iranians and I did some other work while I was there and I went to the Shah's old palace and it was one of those things that you just would never normally do. Mm-hmm. And I, I opened the conference and I closed the conference a day later. So I was the. Friday morning opening speaker or the Thursday morning opening speaker and I closed on the Friday. Yeah. Um. And the warmth and the love of the people was just amazing. But it's amazing the preconceived ideas that you have. Yeah, yeah. But my favourite, I think, ever was going to South Africa to work in a gold mine. And mm-hmm. I worked in a place called Valcom, which is really deep-rooted in South Africa and it's very much Afrikaans. And literally, I was working at a very late hour because the shift of the people was when they were coming back up from the mines. Mm. But I was in the absolute middle of nowhere working with people who are working with miners literally underground all day long where Mm. safety is paramount, where communication is paramount, where you don't have time to really spend much time doing all the nice treats but it's but you had to get it right. And it was just an honor to be literally in the middle of nowhere, knowing you were making a difference. And I was staying with a very good South African friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And the culmination of being in a different country and different, uh, I'm trying to get the right word here, a different space than I've normally been in
0: mm-hmm.
1: and knowing you can make a difference. But mm-hmm. what was amazing was I was probably never going to go back. And it was one of those realizations that I'm never going to see these people again, Mm. but I want to make sure I leave a piece of my heart so they know they mattered. Mm. And I think for me, that's probably one of the most important things. I would hate to leave stage and say, he was a bit aloof. We didn't really get him. We didn't understand where he was coming from, uh, but we got some great messages. Mm. I want them to understand that underneath all of this facade that most speakers put on, I'm a human being with a wife and two kids with a dog who's waiting to see me come home, who wags his tail, and I'm just like everyone else. Mm. I've just learned a bit, to be able to share a bit, to make people's lives work a bit better.
0: You're, um, you're a zookeeper model. How did that all come about?
1: How did that develop? So I had been teaching some communication programs, but I'd never really got... What's the word I'm looking for? I'd never really got a model that was mine per se. Mm. And I was doing some work at Whipsnade Zoo, And I saw a man with a trolley on wheels with about nine or ten different buckets of food.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And they were labeled, literally, elephants, monkeys, lions, etc. And I had one of those aha moments that said, if you feed the right food to the right animals, you not only look after their health and well-being, you get a much Mm -hmm. different response. And if you fed all the animals the same food, because that's all the only food you had you'd probably get 25% of the animals responding well. Mm. And that's what happens in communication. That Mm. when you haven't got much time and when you haven't got much energy and when you're angry, you will speak in your dominant language. And then there's even a heightened dominant language, which I'll come onto in a second, Mm. which won't work for at least 80% of your audience. Mm. And so, you know, I come from an area where I'm not very structured. You know, I I have a basic speech and I play with the audience, and I seem to manage to finish on time. Mm. But the middle of it, who knows where I'm going? (laughs) I nearly always start off with the same standard line, and I finish off with either a deprecating joke, a video, or a spiritual line. Mm. But the middle bit is all over the place, Mm. because that's my monkey style. Mm. Lions are much more direct. There'll be six points, these are the four you need, off you go, do it, and your life will work. Mm. And you need to give that to them. They need to have a system to work to. Mm-hmm. Uh, dolphins just want to make sure the world is okay. Mm-hmm. And they want to do a bit of hugging. And they want to drink fair trade coffee and tea. And they want to make sure the world is a much better place when you finished. Mm-hmm. But the elephants need structured data, analytics. They want a process. They want to know the, uh, about the agenda in advance. And they need information. Mm-hmm. It's no use saying, and I used to use this word a lot, we're going to do some stuff on. Monkeys love that. They love stuff. Elephants want to know what that is. Mm. And so they were my nemesis audience. So if I had, you know, chartered accountants or I had surveyors or I had a legal team or I had um, an insurance company where we had assessors, mm. I struggled with them until I realized that they needed stuff in advance. They were not going to trust me until they understood that I had a background or I had some knowledge. So we would always send them to my website to do my animal quiz in advance. Mm. They knew my statistics. They knew about my testimonials. They knew about my awards. Mm. Lions just think they should be on stage because they're better than everyone else. The monkeys aren't going to read any stuff. They just want some nice stories. And the dolphins want to make sure we're having a lovely time. Mm. But when you then become the zookeeper, and that's the real element to all of my communication programs, mm. that the, your job as a leader, your job as a parent. Your job as a coach is to be a zookeeper mm. and that is to feed the food that your recipients need and want. Mm. So he's trying to give, you know, I joke with people. I like Cadbury's milk chocolate. I get very excited with that. Send me lint or Bournville chocolate with a bottle of champagne. And for the record, I don't drink. It's mm. absolutely wasted on me.
0: Right.
1: And I actually feel disrespected that you haven't listened. Mm. So when I won Speaker of the Year from a major organisation and I got sent a bottle of champagne, instead of being ecstatic, I thought, but you know I drink Diet Coke. When I won the same award two years later and I got a crate of Diet Coke engraved with my name on, how do you think I felt? Mm. Yeah. Cost less, much more appreciated, and much more thought behind it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: I mean, you've written... How many books now? Uh,
1: I now have written five books, um, all of which are independent of each other. So I hate people where you've got to read this one before you can read the next one.
0: we um, just going back to, to to the first. So when you were thinking, when you first started thinking about writing a book, what do you remember the reasoning behind it? What did you hope it might achieve? And what, <laughs> no, I wrote
1: that... a book because everyone told me that you need a book because then you become an authority. Right. So my first book wasn't very good. Mm. Then I revised that book, and it's one of my favorite books because it's about goal setting and masterminding. Mm-hmm. But I don't talk about it very often, so most people don't know I've written that book.
0: Mm. What's that one called?
1: It's called, and I'm, I'm going to get it out, Ten Heads Are Better Than One. Right. But most people have no idea about that because I don't promote it because I don't often talk about it. Mm. Well, well, how, how,
0: long, how long ago was that?
1: 1998. Wow. Okay. But I've done four revisions and four covers for that book. Hmm. Nearly every book I've ever written until the last one, we've done the cover. We've changed the cover because we've updated it. Right.
0: Because
1: one of the things I'm always saying to speakers is, would someone book you just based on your book? Hmm. And now I can say they would on all of mine now. They wouldn't have done in the beginning. Right. But then I got asked by Wiley's, would I write a book? Um, I wrote a book called The Impact Code, which was my life of work. Hmm. And that's one of my favorite books, ex- with the exception of It's a Zero Around Here, which was my very first book on communication. So hmm. they're my two mainstays. The Impact Code, how to create the life you deserve using a code that I put together. And then hmm. It's a Zero Around Here, which is the new rules for better communication. Between those two, that gives you the basis of m- most things that you need. Mm. So you've got a basic principles to work to, and then we're going to show you how to communicate in a much better way. I've then advanced it by, we've introduced, you may not know this, nine more animals. Mm-hmm. And we've introduced an online personality assessment tool, which is literally 45 pages after you filled in some very heavy questions. And it is so personal and personalised to you, you'll think I'm in your head when you, when you get your, your results.
0: Okay. And how would people find that?
1: Well, they can go to my website, which is nominalrisner.com. For mm-hmm. listeners of this, if they put in the word pivot, they'll get a 10% discount. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you really want to understand your communication style, you've got to understand you. Mm-hmm. So when you know who you are mm-hmm. and you really recognise where you are, then you can communicate so much better and then your relationships improve your business communication improves the flow of the way you work just changes But isn't that maybe one of the hardest
0: things in life for people to really understand who they are
1: well that's because they don't want to go there Hmm. you know because then you've got to acknowledge that you're not who you think you are you know Hmm. for a long time i had problems accepting feedback you know, I did very well. I had a successful finance company. Then it, then it wasn't. And then I started my speaking business and it went very well. And I won awards much earlier than I should have done. So what was someone going to tell me? My business was working. I was married. I had two kids. But when you open yourself up and you open your heart up to real, and I don't use the word feedback. I use the word feed forward. But when you open yourself up to it and somebody says, let me just share what I'm seeing compared to what you're doing and you trust the person who's speaking to you, your life changes. So
0: is it a case of when people do the like just uh, quiz, or so I think what you just termed it, the, the,
1: personality, the, you
0: just, the personality test, yeah. And when they do the, the equivalent things, such as the Myers-Briggs and all the disc profile and all the other sort of things, is it a case of maybe they're not being, com- well, yeah, I guess they're not being completely honest in the answers they're giving to these things?
1: Well, there's two other problems that, there- you Know Myers Briggs, Bellman, Disc, whatever it might be. The, the concept is it doesn't really matter if you're a lemon, you're a yellow, you're a monkey. What you've got mm. to understand is what zookeeping's about. Mm. And so, you know, someone saying to me, Well, I can't do this because I'm a monkey. Well, that's no excuse. Mm. What do I need to do to improve? I need to become, I need to get into the center. I need to understand who are the people I need to reach out to. That's what zookeeping's about.
0: Mm. You've just mentioned about the, um, we, we touched upon the books just now. Are you got any plans for any future books?
1: Um, not for the moment. I'm about to create, and I'm going to put this out here, an online course on presentation skills and communication. Don't mm-hmm. know how. I don't know why. I don't know how it's going to look. But I have a phrase that says, decide on your what and the how will show up, mm-hmm. which is for some people is your why. But it will show up. I've just got to figure out what it's going to look like. But the how will show up very soon.
0: When do you think that will be out by?
1: Um, I'm not going to commit to that, but by the summer, I reckon. Right. Because it's not that important, but I think it'll be a nice addition to what I do.
0: Right. And it'll save you driving on Amazon?
1: No, not necessarily. What what it really is about is that it's an addition to what I'm doing. But if I leave this with you, it's not a must for me. Hmm. It's, a, it's a want. And right. want aren't as important as musts if it was a must i'd give you a date and i'd, I'd have the whole thing planned out by now
0: and so for people, the the books that you've already got out i presume people can find them on, on amazon and, and so on
1: yeah if they go to my website which is com, and put in that code pivot they'll get a discount mm-hmm. um and they can go onto amazon they can only get my latest book uh, zookeeper rules for the office in hardback on my website and they can only get the personality assessment tool on my website.
0: And are there any sort of social media profiles you people can find you on?
1: I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And just look for Nigel Risner or Chief Zookeeper and you will find me.
0: And, and do you have a, a book that you've recommended to people?
1: Um, I'm going to share a weird book, okay? Mm-hmm. So Jack Canfield, who was my original coach wrote a book called the aladdin factor Mm -hmm. and it's about how to ask for what you want Mm -hmm. Um, obviously i'm going to recommend my speaking pal jeff rams book celebrity service because that's just an easy book to lift and raise your game but from a spiritual point of view from a business point of view the book, The Aladdin Factor, you can probably go on Amazon very cheap because it's literally one of his oldest books, but it's my favorite book he ever wrote.
0: But what, what is it about it that really resonates with you?
1: Probably, and I'm going to say this in a nice way, because unless you learn to ask for support, you're not going to get there on your own. Mm. There's a phrase that says you have to do it by yourself and you cannot do it alone. Mm. Yeah. And what? you've just got to get support.
0: Well, finally, um, Nigel, is there a quotation that you particularly like?
1: Yeah, no one can go back and make a brand new start, but anyone can start right now and make a brand new ending. Mm. Who is that? Carl Rogers. Why does that resonate really with you? Think? Because too often we want to change where we are, what we've done. You can't change the past. Mm. You know what you can look at is where are we right now?
0: Mm.
1: Where do we want to get to? What do we want, and the how will show up? But if you spend your life looking over your shoulder, you just get a sore neck.
0: And when you first came across that, had you already realised that, or was it that that kind of just stuck, really struck you?
1: I'm one of these people that I don't harbour resentment if you really want the honest truth my favourite quote in the whole wide world is resentment is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies
0: yeah
1: yeah you know so you can be pissed for someone you can be angry with someone how does it serve you that's the whole point
0: mm. And what? how did you learn that lesson
1: <sighs> I had some traumatic stuff happen when I was much younger and holding on to that stuff just was never going to work you know, I was in a car accident where someone died. And my mother was very ill when, she, when I was very young. She tried to commit suicide. Holding on to that stuff was never going to work for me. Mm. And so, you know, we're coming to the end of this podcast. If, you, if you're if you not happy with something in your past and it's not working for you, you need to forgive them and forgive yourself. Mm. That would be my big part of the message.
0: Well, Nigel, it's been a, an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, really appreciate all the the stories and experience and uh, knowledge you shared with the listeners so thank you
1: my pleasure and thank you for trusting me to be part of your life
0: lovely thank you Nigel
1: pleasure
0: next week is episode 25 of happiness versus flourishing which is actually the last episode the podcast will continue in a different vein from the week afterwards. And it's going to be, the name is going to be rechanged to Habits and Health. But next week, episode 25 is with Brooke Hender. And it's a fascinating episode. He's a he's a psychologist and we get into, we talk about hypnotherapy, psychology, philosophy, metaphor, um, some really fascinating topics that we kind of delve into. So that's next week's episode with Brooke Hender. If you do know anyone who uh, you think will get some real benefit from this episode with Nigel Risner, why not share it with them? Please do leave a review for us because that really helps to uh, get the word out about the podcast. And why not subscribe so you can get more Um, episodes of this happiness versus flourishing but also the new episodes or the new podcast that's about to start in two weeks time which is habits and health i hope you have a great week